You are listening to the Marketing Rescue Podcast, the weekly show where we take a look at some epic marketing failures, along with some pretty amazing brand rescues and comebacks. And now your hosts, Nico and Chad. Hi, everybody. This is part two of our ad tracking episode. If you haven't listened to part one, I would really stop here and go back and listen to that first. We covered how ad tracking works at a very high level, including things like cookies and ad pixels, why ad tracking exists and how advertisers use it. And we also discussed what companies like Google and Facebook know about you just from following your digital breadcrumbs online. And then lastly, we also covered what the advantages of ad tracking for both marketers and consumers are. So now some things that we haven't talked about are privacy violations and cases of privacy violations that actually made it to court. So why don't we start there, Chad? Why don't you take us down the legal route? Deal. So we all know there have been rules that have been set by the government. We have GDPR within the medical and pharmaceutical industry. We have HIPAA. We have the CCPA in California. So we have all of these rules that have been set by the government as to what can be collected, what the processes and procedures are for requesting information about your personal information and what is being stored and getting it removed from a database and all of those kinds of things. There are some general practices that have been set by the government And the fact of the matter is, is that companies have been caught violating the terms of their own privacy agreements time and time again. So we've all clicked agree on a terms of service page at least once. We've covered that in the previous episode. So we know that many companies write their own rules. And especially whenever there's gray area in the law, there's ambiguity or areas that the law just simply does not address there's room for either interpretation or additional frameworks that companies can proactively put in place. And in part one of this episode, we mentioned that there's this patchwork of federal and state laws regarding the transcribing, storing, and selling of consumer data in the U.S. that do attempt to protect people's privacy and online data. Yeah, and there's been many, many attempts to create a single standard. In February 2020, Kristen Gillibrand, she's a Democratic senator from New York, proposed the creation of a data privacy agency. This federal agency would enforce U.S. laws on data privacy and conduct investigations into potential violations. And as with such legislation in the United States, the concerns of business and industries are weighted very heavily, some would say far too heavily, in the process. And as of this recording, which is in November 2020, the congress.gov website says that the act was introduced on February 13th, was, quote, read twice, unquote, and was referred to the Senate Committee of Commerce, Science and Transportation, and it hasn't been discussed or voted on since. So it's literally just lying there. Yeah, (laughs) which to an extent is understandable with the pandemic. We've had some pretty big fish to fry this year with all of the multiple crises converging at once. Mm. That being said, this is important and it needs to be addressed in a more cohesive, balanced manner. Yeah. So out of Google, Facebook, Amazon, and Zoom, the worst offender when it comes to violating users' privacy is... 
Drum roll. <laughs> yeah, drum roll, please. <laughs> Facebook. It's got to be Facebook. I think you could argue Facebook. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, we've all heard about a lot of different things from Google, but... Facebook and Wells Fargo. <laughs> yeah. Because <laughs> they keep them getting caught with their hands in the cookie jar <laughs> for the same stuff. Oh, yes. Time and time again. But Facebook tends to be the one that seems to bubble to the top the most, and seems to have some of the most egregious examples. Repeatedly, Mark Zuckerberg has issued statements or given testimony before governmental bodies in which his responses essentially amounted to just get used to it. This is what we're going to do. We're going to do it. So you just need to adapt and just get used to it. And it's not just single services like Facebook or Amazon. There's so many platforms today that are taking your data and they're exchanging it. Yeah. They put it into an exchange. It's being sold and being used in a variety of ways. Cambridge Analytica is one of the most prominent examples of how that information can be extracted and used in a lot of ways that people didn't necessarily anticipate that it would be used. We all know how that ended. <laughs> <laughs> yes. And... One of the more recent examples that was really brought to the forefront this year because of the pandemic and the change in how we all work together was Zoom. Yeah, and Zoom's terms of service not only give it the right to extract data from users and their meetings, the data can and does also make its way to actors like Google. So conversations in Zoom gets transcribed and then later on you'll get an ad served of what you discussed. And again, you agree to this when you sign up for the service, right? So since more and more public attention has been drawn towards ad tracking and consequently to Zoom in particular, the video call service has quietly rewritten its privacy policies. But not all other companies can just rewrite their privacy policies and not get a lot of flack from it. I actually think Thinking back when this happened to the Zoom, when they changed their privacy policies, it became a big PR thing for them and their sales dropped and everything else. So people do care about this. And I think transparency is the name of the game here. If people know what you do with their data, it tends to sit a lot better with the end customer. Yeah, yeah, exactly. So this was back when the controversy started happening with Zoom just exploded because of the pandemic. And then they had multiple problems with Zoom bombing yeah. becoming this really big, tough thing to handle. And then also the fact that it came out that they were selling transcripts of the meeting contents for advertising purposes. And they actually have since changed that. And so they do not do that anymore. That we know of. <laughs> that we know of. They've come out and very forcefully said that they haven't and they have changed their privacy policies and all that kind of stuff. But the fact that that was happening in the first place is pretty crazy. <laughs> and again, they're not the only company that finds itself on the wrong side of data protection and personal protection. Google, as we know, in 2012, they were ordered to pay $225 million to settle charges that claimed Google lied about user data privacy in Apple's Safari browser in the fall of 2019. Google and YouTube, which of course it owns, were fined $170 million after being sued by the FTC and the AG of the state of New York for illegally collecting personal information from children without their parents' consent. Mm-hmm. And in May of this year, the state of Arizona sued Google over allegations it illegally tracked Android users' locations, even when they turned off tracking settings. 
they just basically ignored that you turn it off. And just this summer in June, Google was sued for $5 billion for supposedly tracking private internet use. The class action lawsuit alleged that Google was tracking millions of users' activity even when their browsers were set in private or incognito mode. Mm. So they'd still track it. They just wouldn't let you see the record of it. Yeah. And I mean, I was listening to you speak there. The numbers you're throwing out, 225 million, 170 million. I mean, this is what these companies make per second, right? (laughs) This is really not a lot of money for them. But the big money to be made in skirting these rules, if you like, like Google... They can afford it, right? A $6 billion fine still leaves them in a really good financial shape. But the odds are that you and me and smaller companies can't afford that. And if you're one of the hundreds and thousands of other companies in the world, aside from Google, Facebook, and Amazon, you can't afford to violate a privacy law. And why would you, right? Especially when you consider that you don't have to. In part one of this episode, we discussed what information is given to algorithms for ad tracking and the technology records and uses our every post, our like, our click, our share, a page view, and even our comments, and then combines that in a digital persona per se of your age, your interests, your habits, who your friends are and who your family are. And there are very above board tactics that we can use without violating privacy laws. Right. And that's the thing is that you don't need to steal private information to get what you need in order to be a successful marketer and have an excellent conversion rate. Because the fact of the matter is, is most people sign their rights away willingly when they click agree on the terms of service to most of it. And so I think there's a really important ethical conversation that has to happen about this idea of just because you can do something should you do it? Right. And I think the advertising industry in particular is one that I think can be a little bit hypocritical when it comes to this, because oftentimes we say within the advertising industry that we need to drive social change. We need to drive social justice initiatives and we need to do marketing with meaning to really make the world a better place through our marketing and connecting with emotional messages that drive positivity in the world. So we do that on the one hand. And then on the other hand, we very frequently do things like taking these tracking capabilities and pushing them way beyond what is ethical, legal or not. Or what's necessary for that matter. Right. I mean, no ad tracking is going to solve a poor product, (laughs) right? And I think that's a lot of time when people use, they use technology and they use programmatic buying and ad tracking to mask a poor product or to mask a poor customer experience. And that's why these are all episodic tools. They are not evergreen marketing strategies that's going to build a long-term relationship between an individual and a brand, which ultimately is marketing's role, if you think about it, at its core value. Yeah, and that's one of the many reasons why, to your point, we're experiencing this big whiplash right now from big data back to small data because it's gotten to a point where programmatic has almost become spam. And so consumers are just kind of tired of it. We want something real. We talk about this on the podcast all the time, how important it is to have something that's real, authentic, that, that you can actually relate to. And it's not putting lipstick on a pig. It's something real. So let's do that, right? Let's just do that. So when you add 
whatever willing ignorance any individual consumers may or may not be guilty of having to the fact that practically no one reads the terms of service before clicking agree, we need to recognize that in the marketing and advertising industry. And we need to have our own sets of ethical standards for what we do, why we do it. And I think in my opinion, the value and benefit to doing things the right way is so much greater than the downside of, oh, I might get a lower conversion rate on this specific remarketing campaign. Mm. Because you can actually build a real brand by creating an experience that consumers actually feel good about and not creeped out by. Yeah. To that point, there's so many ways we're getting it wrong, but what do you think are the biggest things, the things that rise to the top of your mind in terms of where we're going astray as an industry. Yeah. If you think about it, there are numerous ways to legislate individual privacy and for internet users to protect themselves, but the technology will always change in advance, right? It's like they're always two Mm. steps ahead of us in a way. (laughs) Right. But what about our responsibility as an industry, to your point? Should we be advocating for privacy of our audiences? And I think we should. Yeah. I agree. And that's the last thing, the last thing that you'll hear come out of a marketer's mouth or out of a big tech company's mouth. And I think as marketers, we should be advocating for that. Another approach to ad tracking for those in the business is to re-examine who you want to be. So far, the ad agency and the ad industry as a whole have been pretty quiet on the topic of privacy. But if you think about it, still more and more voices are starting to come out in favor of balancing ad tracking with the need of protecting our fundamental human freedoms, right? At the very least, I think that marketers should be at the forefront of the discussion about how the tools we use, the tools of our livelihood are regulated and controlled, right? There's enough skepticism about advertising without it being actively, knowingly harmful. And that's just not something that the marketing industry is talking about. And I think that's where we're getting it wrong. I think that we're going to continue being on our defensive back foot with annoying customers and not being an advocate to balance this out. And it's our responsibility. Yeah. And I think we just need to be honest with ourselves about the reality of what this entire situation is creating. And I think not to get political in terms of any side, right or left, red or blue, whatever, but we can all acknowledge the harm that has come to modern politics, specifically within the U.S., because of the intense polarization that this tracking capability has created Mm -hmm. and the harm and the damage that it's doing to our public discourse, to our ability to be civil with one another, to have meaningful dialogue with each other, and also to protect our privacy and make sure that we're not vulnerable to misinformation or attacks from outside influences that don't have the right intentions. And that's just something I think we just need to come to grips with, acknowledge that it's a reality, acknowledge that there has to be change in the way that we approach things from a marketing perspective that we need to apply pressure to the big platforms as marketers, as the implementers of the spend within these platforms. 
that we need to change things, that we need to be smarter about it, and we need to have a more long-term view of what success looks like in this arena. And to build on that, from a long-term perspective, customers can only put up with so much spam, so much bombardment, and so many sales-type messages. Even if it's relevant, you just get sick of it. Exactly. Because you're going to get to a point where you're going to buy what you've been researching and then you just get bombarded still with follow-up ads and follow-up ads. And then you're going to move on. Yeah. Right? So, for example, I had an experience recently where I went online and I did some research on a couple of different companies that I needed for a particular service that I was looking for and got a couple of quotes and then kind of essentially made my decision. And then there's this one company that's been emailing me three or four times a day, calling me four or five times a day. I'm just getting absolute bombarded with marketing messages, phone calls, just absolutely over the top. And so there's this balance between chasing down every lead and not leaving leads on the table and really alienating the people that you're trying to win over because it's become borderline harassment in the way that I feel about it, experiencing it as a human being. So it's like, when we talk about building a brand, building brand affinity, and some of these iconic brands that we've covered across the past 30 plus episodes of our podcast, the ones that are successful are successful because people love them. Mm -hmm. They associate the brand with good emotions, good memories, good experiences. And it's a good brand and it's a strong product. Right. And it's not a weak product, but through technology or ad tracking, they push the sales further. That doesn't build a big brand. It doesn't build that affinity that you're talking about that we've seen on the podcast over and over and over again. All the marketing rescues are usually nothing to do with marketing. They have to do with <laughs> fixing the products the culture and the soft things within the organization. And then the marketing kind of like just falls into place. Right. Where I think so many marketers have a weak product, a bad client and a bad culture at the client's office. And then they use marketing and technology and ad tracking to try to push the sales past the weakness that the client or the brand of the product might have. Right. They're using it wrong. Use retargeting, use ad tracking, but use it in the correct fashion. Don't use it to supplement or make up for a poor product. The people calling you five times a day, that's exactly it. It gets to a point where it's counterproductive to what they're actually trying to achieve. Yeah, and I think a lot of that, Nico, comes from just the way that the advertising industry has advanced over the past 10 to 15 years. All of the advancements have been technological advancements for the most part. They haven't necessarily been advancements to strategy or creative capability. It's primarily been technology, right? So there's been this huge focus on technological, tactical deployment and implementation. And that becomes the strategy. And that's so bad. Exactly. And that's not a strategy. It's not. Technology has taken tactics and turned them into a strategy or marketing campaigns where it's got nothing to do with that. And very often the marketing strategy doesn't even exist because we're retargeting clients and we're buying 
digital personas and doing Facebook buys, but there's no real underlying strategy. The strategy is the technology and trying to drive sales. And that is where we are today. And it's kind of an odd place to be after 15 years of technology pushing us here slowly. It's like in a slow motion train crash and here we are. And we're shaking our heads <laughs> and we ask ourselves, how do we get here? It's an odd place to be. And I think by doing this podcast over the last 30 plus episodes, we've seen that more and more and more where the campaigns that fail are just that, where people use technology or innovative buys through programmatic buying, whatever it is, and lead their campaigns with that. And it just fails miserably because there's no interaction. There's no relationship between the brand and the customer through a Facebook buy. Yeah. There's no teeth to actually creating a real connection with your consumer and really showing them the value and providing value to them. It's what you said the other day. It's lazy advertising. Yeah, and it makes me think that we maybe should do an episode on marketing automation. Yeah. The pros and cons and how we should be thinking about marketing automation because it really dovetails off of this entire conversation, which is, I think, that we need to focus, as many people in the industry talk about, on human marketing that we can't just hide behind technology and automation and algorithms, right? Companies aren't algorithms. People aren't algorithms. We're all people. People do business with other people. People do business with companies that they can, at a personal level, relate to, see value in, get utility from. We're people. We're not clicks. <laughs> We're not page views. Yeah. We're humans and we have human needs. We have human questions that need to be answered and desires and hopes and dreams and fears, motivations, challenges, et cetera. And so if you've got, as you, Nico, talk about so much, and I think it's so right, if you've got a solid product, if you've got a solid team, a good company culture, a good reason for existence as a company and a clear reason for why you're doing what you're doing and you're focusing on that more than the what of what you're doing, mm -hmm. then you don't need to rely so much on algorithms. You can become a Coca-Cola, right. right? You can become a multi-century iconic brand because you relate to people in a meaningful way. And the marketing, as you often say, will write itself. Yeah. The irony that we're having this discussion as people that's been doing this for so long, you wouldn't think that marketers would say this, but it is so true that the industry has ended up in a spot that I don't like where it is because we've taken technology and very often turned that into a campaign, which is kind of sad if you think about it. But there are also benefits of ad tracking, right? Benefits of technology listening to you. These are very, very capable algorithms and you see ads that are more likely regarding things that you want to see versus just bothering you with irrelevant ads. And the technology that listens for sound of a smoke alarm or carbon monoxide alarms or glass breaking, like Alexa currently has, it can add a level of safety into your home. What's most important here is that the technology itself, how marketers maximizes the technology or the specific way technology is used for advertising, What's super important in my mind is that first, 
is the human relationship between a company and its customer. That the technology just happens to exist alongside of and that the relationship is not the technology. That the relationship should be between the company and the customer. Yeah. So early in advertising, back in the like madman era, advertisers understood that and granted at a much less sophisticated level, that connection and the importance of evergreen marketing strategies was the way to go. The way farmers understand that you don't put lipstick on pigs, right? Like there has to be some sort of reality or authenticity. And in the old days of advertising, the advantage that they had was that they could just create this one-way message. It's not a conversation. All they have to do is just try to shape public perception. Mm -hmm. And that's what success looks like. It's not that way at all anymore. You can't just put out an ad and then people will think of you the way that you want them to. Right. It's so much more multidirectional and complex than that. But they did understand the basic core tenant, if you read Ogilvy on advertising, of human connection and connecting with somebody. And so early advertisers also lost tons of money by advertising the way they did, but they didn't really make their customers uncomfortable through spam, at least not in the way or to the extent that ad tracking has. Mm -hmm. And to be clear, I don't think that we're making, at least I'm not making the argument that we should do away with ad tracking capabilities within advertising, that we should do away with in entirety Facebook and Google and you know, all of those kinds of things. That's, that's not what I'm advocating at all or arguing for. However, I think it's just important to remember that new technology can be comfortably and effectively used for marketing if we think about things from a more long-term strategy than all of this short-term, super episodic kind of cram through as many sales we can in the quarter, maximize the ROI on the CPA for our PPC and our display ads to the nth degree until we just burn it out, Yeah. right? And just burn through any bit of goodwill that we have so that we can drive the highest amount of sales possible or fill in the blank on whatever KPI you have. But as soon as you turn back the marketing spend, that just goes away. That's why it's episodic. And that's why it's temporary. And that's why it's instant gratification as well, right? For the CEOs and the CMOs of companies because they can immediately see a spike in their sales. Right. Feels tangible. Exactly. But what's not tangible is making sure that the product is good or making sure that there is a strong culture at the organization or whatever it might be. It's a difficult pull to swallow for a lot of business marketers. Very often we need to change things that doesn't end up in a dashboard that we can track. <laughs> right. Okay, so let's pause here. And this has been a super healthy discussion. And let's talk about like what we've learned by just debating this and unpacking this. From my perspective, consider whether your primary focus is to maximize technology in your advertising or to think of your consumer first before approaching technology with an intention to add this human element and market from that point forward. And I think that's really important. And if you decide on the latter, then technology takes a backseat 
and focus on figuring out how to generate the right ingredients at your company so that the marketing basically just writes itself. In a nutshell, a solid product, a solid team, a cohesive, innovative, and good company culture is easier to market than a company that lags all those things. We see this time and time again where ad agencies and marketing companies will use technology and ad tracking to make up for the inability that the company has or the product has on the company's side. It really reminds me a lot about one of the things that we talk about often, which is as organizational leaders, when you have team members who are not performing, they're just not getting the job done, very frequently what begins to happen either as a symptom of that or is the source of that non-performance is that they spend much more time trying to create a perception and a defense of their work mm, right. than they do actually doing good work. And fixing their inabilities to do their job. And we've seen that, right? Right. We've seen that. Time and time again. I've had staff before that wanted a raise, but they were struggling in their job that scheduled a meeting with me and came prepared with like a stack of papers of research that they did of similar roles across the country and why this whole proposal of why they need a raise, but they fall down on their basic stuff that they should be doing on a day-to-day basis. If they just took that time that they put into the research and the proposal for a raise into their job, then their job's output will result into a raise. And that analogy is exactly what's happening within marketing. Right. People substitute technology for the inability for a product or a company to write its own marketing. Super interesting. Yeah. So I think from my perspective, we just need to keep in mind that ad tracking, it's not human centric. It was designed to drive sales and we need to think of it the right way. And I'm sure there's going to be a lot of people that will disagree with that and have a lot of different arguments in that regard. And let us know in the comments. <laughs> yeah, exactly. We'll, we'll probably get some interesting <laughs> notes from listeners, you know, because of that. But at the end of the day, I think the golden rule applies. Just treat other people the way you want to be treated. If you don't like the way that people market to you, don't do that to other people and show people the respect and the dignity that they deserve in terms of how you market to them. Because at the end of the day, when you do the right thing, good things happen. And that's the only way to build something that is sustainable, that people care about, and that people will even want to help you with. And when I say people, I mean your customers. Yeah, That's the only way you're going to get customers that want to be a part of your brand. It's so interesting that very often some of the marketing advice that we give our listeners could be translated into just life advice. <laughs> It's just kind of funny if you think about it. We're talking about marketing, but it's principles that you can just apply to your general life. Yeah. And you'll just be a happier person. And it should be the same thing of the way you approach your client's marketing or a brand's marketing. It's no different. Yes. If you're going to be shitty with people and you're going to have a shitty campaign, it's most probably not going to end well. Yeah. Right? It's, it's the exact same thing as life. And it's so relevant right now with what's happening with our elections. Mm. So I hope every single American listens to this episode. (laughs) Yes. (laughs) Be kind. (laughs) Yeah, exactly. Well, this has been fun. Anything else from you? 
No, I think that's it. Cool. All right. Thanks for listening, guys. We'll speak to you again next week. Bye-bye. You've been listening to the Marketing Rescue Podcast. This show is hosted by Nico Katsia and Chad Childress, the co-founders of KPI Agency, a marketing rescue agency. Be sure to visit marketingrescuepodcast.com to join the conversation, access the show notes, contact the hosts, and discover fantastic bonus content.